You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people, and that means when we read it, as we're about to do, we're hearing God speak to us. Our passage this morning is the second letter of John. We'll be reading the whole thing. I'll be reading from the CSB version. I'd encourage you all to follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. The Elder. To the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Uh, Please, gracious Father, may you do with us this morning as you will. Please may we receive these words and rejoice in this gift. May you help us to know what it means to live in truth and love. For Christ's sake. Amen. We all speak about a balanced life. And to John is encouraging you, giving you practical ways to think about your life, your balanced life, your balanced life as a Christian. Now, I walked some years ago the Overland uh, track in Tasmania. It's about a five-day walk. You get to the end of the fifth day if you're walking from north to south, and you arrive at a place where you have to cross the Narcissus River on a bridge. But when it's a bridge, I should say it's rather like one wire. 
with two wires to hold to with your hands. So you're effectively walking a tightrope in the last 100, 200 metres of the five-day walk. Now, you'd think recess doesn't sound too hard to me, but when you've been walking for five days, you've hurt your ankle, you're feeling tired, that last couple of hundred metres is really, really challenging. You think it's going to be a breeze. All you're thinking about is the pancakes you're about to cook when you finish the walk. Even with the guide ropes to hold on to, finding your balance is not easy. It's really easy with a pack on your back to tip one way or the other. And as Christians... We're in a similar situation. It might sound like a relatively easy thing to do to find a balanced life, but it's not always quite so straightforward. We speak about a balanced diet, a balanced lifestyle, a balance between family and work, a balanced budget. But what does it look like to have a balanced Christian life or to belong to a balanced Christian community? Well, the only command in this letter is in verse 8. Be on guard or watch yourselves, John writes. The central command is to watch yourself. Be on guard that you don't tip one direction or the other and fall off the rope. It's so easy to be tipped off the edge. John is challenging us to think about what the balanced life looks like and he's reassuring us that we're actually, despite the fear of tipping, on the right track. So he begins, the elder to the elect lady. The elect lady and her children are the church he's writing to. He describes himself as the elder. He could have described himself as an apostle. John was an apostle, but he chooses not to use language of authority, but language of care, oversight, gentleness. He writes with humility, and he says to this church, I love you. I love you in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. He's aligning himself with others who also love in the truth. He's one of the crowd. He sets himself alongside the other believers who know the truth. He's saying we're all in this together. This truth lives in us, or this truth abides in us. This truth is not just merely head knowledge. This truth is so close to us as if it were under our skin. This truth dwells with us. This truth is alive. This truth is personal. This is not abstract truth. And this truth in verse 3 expresses itself in grace, mercy and peace which will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and in love. Well, you can't fail to miss it. 
In these first few verses, John uses the language of truth and love again and again. It's almost like you're going up a spiral staircase. You're seeing the same things, but you're seeing them time and time again from a different angle. You might not have been in a situation like this, but when a bushfire is coming close to your home, the advice you get from the SES or from the government is to pack the bare essentials and get ready to run. And of course, as a kid living around lots of trees, we'd always imagine what would mum pack, what would dad pack. It was always apparently jewellery and photos. But John in this letter is saying the only two things you need to pack to be ready for the crisis, for the emergency that's prevailing is truth and love. There's only two things you need. It's truth and love that will preserve your Christian walk and it's truth and love that will preserve your church in the Lord Jesus. Well, he speaks personally. He knows these believers. We read in verse 4, I rejoiced greatly, I had great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. As a good pastor, he rejoices when he sees folk in this church keeping on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Not just believing the truth, but walking in the truth as God had commanded and I echo his sentiments as a pastor to see Christians counting the cost and persisting in their Christian walk brings joy to my heart. A number of years ago, I led some mission teams to Vienna in Austria with a group of students from around Australia in the AFES. On the first mission team we led, 1993, we met a young fellow who'd just become a Christian from Lithuania. He was studying in Austria. His name was Eugen. And it was really wonderful to hear how he committed himself to the Lord at great personal cost. This was not for his family, something that he should be doing. Two years later, we returned and wondered whether we'd see Eugen again, how he'd fared the campus meetings happened at night. We were there in the lecture room and me with one of my team members saw Eugen come into the room and we were overjoyed. In fact, that night after the meeting, standing on the train station to go back to our homes, we turned to each other with tears and said, Eugen's, Eugen's still a Christian. Eugen's still a Christian. We rejoice when we find our children persisting to walk in the truth, as John writes in verse 4. And now I ask you, he writes in verse 5, Dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new command, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. 
there's been danger that people in this fellowship had stopped loving their brothers and sisters. He wants these Christians to walk in the truth, but he also wants these Christians to walk in love. And they've heard the commandment from the beginning. The Lord Jesus Christ himself gave the command that we should love one another. But John has to remind them that loving each other is actually a command. Loving people is so easy to forget. It's a feeling that is so fleeting. Jesus commands us. John reiterates the command. Isn't it weird that we should command people to love? If you love someone, is it invalidated because you've been commanded to love someone? Because you've been commanded to love, does that mean it's not really love at all, but just mere duty, mere obedience? No. God's commandments give shape to love. Love isn't just anything you want it to be. God's commandments in the scriptures give shape to our love, give outline to our love, set parameters for our love. There are some things that are truly loving and some things that are truly unloving. We need reminders to love. God is giving you a reminder this morning to love. This is love, John writes in verse 6, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you heard from the beginning, so you should walk in love. There are just two things you need to pack in your Christian life. It's truth and love. Or putting it a slightly different way, we need to have clear minds and Soft hearts. You need to have clear minds and soft hearts. You need to do both. But many Christians specialize in one rather than the other. There are some Christians who are specialists in truth, who might not be very loving. There are some Christians who specialize in love, but they're not really clear-headed about what God calls us to, what the gospel is. And it's a good question to ask yourself, where do you fall? Are you imbalanced? Are you more of a truth person or more of a love person? And if you find it difficult to answer the question, ask some of your best friends. Let them give you some advice. Where are you likely to imbalance towards truth? Or towards love. We need them both, but we need them both in me, in you as well. We need people who are committed to reading and thinking and preaching and leading Bible studies and recommending books. We need people who have the capacity to speak clear words about Christ and the scriptures. But you can't use that as an excuse not to love people, right? We need people who are deeply prayerful, whose love language is acts of kindness, who are patient and long-suffering. But just because you have those gifts, that doesn't mean that you can excuse yourself from thinking hard thoughts or clear thoughts about the Scriptures. 
a sign that a church has connected truth and love is a church that sends missionaries. Because any money that you give to this fellowship, in a sense, can be self-serving. You benefit immediately. But to send someone to do ministry elsewhere, to speak the gospel, to love the world, to serve other tribes and nations, is a really wonderful sign that you're connecting truth and love because you're sending people to serve where you'll have no personal benefit. Churches that send people out in Christian service are churches that are healthy and are finding the balance between truth and love. And even this week, as Australia has been thinking about the outcome of the referendum, we need as Christians to make sure that we're not just talking ideas, not just thinking loving thoughts, that we're doing both together in our conversations. We need to engage ideas generously. An ancient Christian named, named St. Ephraim was from Syria and he wrote, Truth and love are wings that cannot be separated. For truth cannot fly without love, nor can love soar aloft without truth. Their yoke is one of friendship. So are you soaring as a Christian, making truth and love your wings? Or are you hobbling, trying to get by, walking on just one leg? Now, in the end, reading the scriptures regularly is the best way of growing in truth and in love together. In the last month, I've been reading the book of Proverbs, 31 chapters in Proverbs, 31 days in the month. It's easy to get through it in one month. And the extraordinary thing about Proverbs is that just in every chapter, there are calls to truth. And in every chapter, there are calls to love. It's like they're intermingled with each other. You don't choose between one and the other. They're there in every chapter. Practically, to learn this balance, to work with truth and love, reading the scriptures will help you no end. But notice as well in these verses that John uses the language of walking. Walking in truth and love. Why doesn't he say? Why doesn't he say you've got to believe the truth and demonstrate love? Why doesn't he use those verbs? No, he uses the verb walk in truth and love. And he doesn't ask these believers to run, to run in truth and love. No, he wants them to walk in truth and love. He's not asking them to kick goals, to jump, to leap. He's quite happy to encourage them to stroll, to walk with direction. Walking is not very flashy. Most of us do it a lot of the time. It doesn't necessarily lead to sweat. 
which is one of my principal uh, criteria for choosing a sport. Walking doesn't result from panic or fear. Walking is exactly the right word to use. Indeed, in walking, we keep step with the Spirit, according to Paul. I was talking to a student this week at Ridley. We were talking about celebrity preachers, flashy preachers. And I said to him, well, let me tell you this. You'll probably take it the wrong way. But I actually admire your ministry because you're not flashy. There was perhaps a bit of ouch in it for him. That is, we all want to be the flashy person who runs, who draws attention to speed, efficiencies. But this guy's not like that. He's not hot and cold. He's not on or off. He's constant and faithful and dependable. Enthusiastic, but with direction and measure. He knows the direction he's heading in. He knows how to get there. But he's doing it, joining together in his own life, truth and love, which he is walking in. Well, there's a, a great threat for the congregation that John's writing to that we learn about in verse 7 that might explain something of why he's used the language of walking. For he writes, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. There are many people who are saying the person Jesus, who some might have met on the road, was not God incarnate, was not the Father's Son, was not God incarnate. He says they're deceivers. In fact, stronger language, such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Now, we might be used to reading in 2 Thessalonians or the book of Revelation, thinking about the antichrist being one significant world leader. I'll leave that question for another day. But here, at least, the antichrist is anyone, is anyone who says that Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh. There are people who are saying that Jesus who walked on this earth was not God. So John wants his people to walk on this earth in truth and love, to prove them wrong. Their Christology, their understanding of who Christ was, immensely was immensely practical. The what, what you think about Christ will end up impacting what you think about your daily obedience. He walked on this earth, so you must walk like he did in truth and love. So watch yourselves in verse 8. Be on your guard that you might not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Don't let them get away with it. Don't let people get away with saying that Jesus was not God in the flesh. 
And he's speaking about people who belong to the fellowship, belong to the church. He's not speaking about the Roman emperor, but people who were in their midst, who'd been in the congregation deceiving others. Verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead, that means leaves this teaching behind, and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. To leave Christ behind is to leave God behind. So, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You need to defend your fellowship. That's why you have a church council who's trying to work out how can we protect the fellowship, how can we secure this fellowship, how can we make sure that there are not those who inveigle their way in to produce false disciples and wrong teaching. He, John says here, don't welcome them in. It's a strange thing. He's been talking about lots of love, but there's limits to love. You don't welcome in people and give them positions of responsibility in your church who will themselves undermine the church. That's not loving. And of course, in the ancient world, to invite people into your home was more than just a kind of fill someone's belly. To invite someone into your home was a clear way of approving, of affirming, of validating someone's ministry if they were a missionary. So for John to use this language is more heavy-handed, if you will, than for us to invite someone into our home who might disagree with us. He's saying, don't validate their ministries. Draw a line. The fellowship is worth protecting. Truth and love are worth protecting. There is some quality control that John wants us to acknowledge. There'll be people who join your church wonderfully, thankfully, for whom it's not appropriate that they preach sermons or lead small groups or join committees. When I was working at, at Melbourne University in student ministry, the ecumenical chaplain at the university kept wanting to speak at the Christian Union group. He kept asking us. He thought it was his right. But this fellow believed that it was inappropriate ever to use the, the word God and instead of using the word God, he'd just say, I believe in G-O-D. And that spells out God if, if you're not so good at spelling. <laughs> he was so unsure of anything that he couldn't even bring himself to use the name God. No, that fellow was not invited to speak to Christian Union. He would have been a missionary who was leading the fellowship astray. John says, verse 10, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part 
in his wicked works. Friends, we need to find a balance in our own Christian walk and in the life of the church. We need to find balance. We need to protect the fellowship. We need to walk in truth and love. But we also must recognize we don't receive those who should deceive us. And what John's doing here is nothing more than has been done by other New Testament writers. John's instructions reflect great principles of theology. John, in his first letter, says that God is light and God is love. That's different words to describe the same idea, right? That God is light, in him there's no darkness at all, there's things that are true, there are things that are false, but that God's also a God of love who sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Or Paul in Romans chapter 3 says, God is just and justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God is just and he's also loving and goes beyond justice to make us believers, to make us his sons and daughters. Or John in his gospel in chapter 1 describes Jesus Christ as full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. But you know what the weird thing about pursuing the balanced life is? You have to start by being imbalanced. A balanced life is not having a bit of Jesus and a bit of something else. A balanced life is being sold out for Jesus in whom we find the balance. A balanced life is giving all for Christ, the source of truth and life. A balanced life doesn't mean you pick and choose. A balanced life is giving all your life, heart, mind, body and soul, to Jesus Christ, the source of truth and life. The balanced life begins with a commitment to Christ, his will and his ways. For he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Though I have much to write to you, John says, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. He knows the value of bodies meeting bodies. He's been speaking in this letter about the importance of Christ who's come to take flesh and walk in this world. He's been speaking about our own walk in truth and love. No wonder he ends this by saying, the fellowship is so valuable as we together with bodies meet week by week the truth the children of your elect sister greet you he says so let me pray grant us gracious lord this morning all we need to find the balanced life in you grant us all we need 
to live this day in truth and love and walk in the same till our life's end. For Christ's sake. Amen.